You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our amazing lineup of creators. Okay, welcome back to Straight White American Jesus. We are here in Washington, D.C. at the Summit for Religious Freedom. Uh, we're at the Washington Plaza Hotel. You might hear the uh, conference going on behind us, but we have an amazing guest right now, somebody who is the person this week, and that is Rachel Lazar, who's president and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. I'm going to tell people more about you, but let me say thanks for sitting down and doing this. It's such an honor to be here. So you are a lawyer, advocate, strategist. You have a track record of uniting both faith and secular leaders and organizations. Uh, you're raised a Reformed Jew, passionate about racial justice, and you are, if I'm not mistaken, the first woman and first non-Christian to lead Americans United. This is true. Which is amazing um, and just incredible. <laughs> Let me start here. President and CEO of, of AU, what's the journey been like up till now? You, you weathered the pandemic. Um, there's a kind of sense of momentum this weekend, a sense of dynamism. What's it been like from your seat? I mean, it's been an incredible journey because I took the helm of AU when Trump was president. And it's just been the war of our lifetimes. And what that sort of brings at the same time as all the struggle and all the challenges is immense opportunity for all of us to come together. And that's what we've been talking about the entire weekend. And it's refreshing to all come together across so many differences. I mean, I said in my opening remarks here from all 50 states, from every single imaginable religion, practically, and the non-religious, mm -hmm. and about 50-50, too. You know, all different forms of sexuality, all different ways of identifying as, as cisgender and transgender and non-binary. It is thrilling to be in such an intentionally diverse crowd, all fighting for the rights and the protection of every single one of us. So you announced this morning... Uh, a, a new commitment to the separation of church and state, a new campaign, all beliefs, all people. And one thing I took away from your remarks this morning was that um, this is a cause, separation of church and state, that is really at the kind of heart of so many of the causes that people care about, reproductive rights, protecting all gender and sexual identities, thinking about racial inequalities, income inequalities, whatever it is, separation of church and state, that's where we get led back to once we sort of zoom out. What I really appreciate about the new commitment is that it provides a story for all of us to participate in, despite whatever different backgrounds we come from. One of the things I always say is that the right prioritizes conformity, so it's so much easier to mobilize. We see diversity as a virtue, which is beautiful, wondrous, but we have to find a way to include everyone in a mission that moves them. I just love the fact that this new commitment to separation of church and state provides that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the most exciting things about it. And I, it feels actually like a relief, honestly, because I'm sitting at the helm of this organization that really tries to be mainstream, right? And not just all the way to the left, because we're there for everyone, every single person in this country. The country wouldn't be itself without church-state separation. And so, you know, to be able to say, we were one nation indivisible, that's what we used to pledge. And then in the 1950s, they added under God in this surge of Christian national, and just to, to name it in an unafraid way, and to say that was about intentionally narrowing who was a true American 
And when you said, actually, in your remarks, like, I'm tired Mm -hmm. of having to try to be a true American or something to that effect. I just, it was like this moment when someone says the truth of what you've been feeling. And it feels so amazing to hear. And that's what I think this pledge is about. It's about taking back what America is supposed to be and promises to be, which is one nation, all beliefs. And something that's really important is that our atheist and agnostic and humanist folks really hear themselves in the pledge, too. I mean, I love our atheist members. I have tons of atheists in my family. I'm proud to lead a group that has, you know, definitely support from the atheist community. But it just sometimes it seems like no matter what term you you use, you'll get criticized for it. Um, And it's just in that regard, it's hard. Some people non-religious, some people secular, some people atheist, some people non-believer, some people, you know, and and what I'm trying to say is all of that all is completely welcome and included and part of what we mean when we say one nation, all beliefs, whatever you believe, you don't believe, that's what's that's the joy. Yeah. Uh, you, you were just saying it, celebrate them. That's what I tried to say in my opening remarks. Like, we're here to celebrate our differences. We're here to protect your right to be different. And that is, to me, what motivates me the most about leading, like, even above being Jewish, which is obviously I'm two, part of 2%. So it's very tiny yeah. yep. percentage. And that's a little scary sometimes, you know, but yep. even above that, like what what gets me up in the morning is the joy that I experience myself and feel when others are true to who they are yeah. and just living that truth out, that's the most beautiful thing. That's funny. I'm, I'm an, you know, I talked about it. People listening will know I'm an ex-evangelical, but I still feel most comfortable somehow in spaces filled with people of faith. And I, you know, like sometimes I'm most comfortable giving a sermon rather than like teaching a class. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that says about me. That's one of the things I appreciate about this weekend is I just feel like everyone is here. And if it, the dynamism that that creates is hard to put into words, we just zoomed out. We talked about the pledge. Let's zoom in. I know you've got about 17 examples because I heard you talk about them, but what are some examples of the ways that AU is fighting for separation of church and state on the ground at the state level, around the country? What are some of the things that people need to know about that are happening uh, today, whether it's, it's lawsuits, whether it's protections, what's happening? Going to try to make this not too long. Um, so just to tell folks about a few of our cases and the way that we're protecting people across the gamut of issues, we have plaintiffs who are a Catholic woman who was not able to work with foster kids in her local foster care agency because she's a Catholic and not evangelical Protestant. That alone is tragic. And I'm so proud of her for fighting for the rights of herself and everyone. We have plaintiffs who are Jewish who similarly wanted to adopt a child and they weren't served by their local taxpayer funded foster care agency because they're Jewish. We have plaintiffs who are a lesbian woman from Indiana who is just the most beloved school counselor at her school, her Catholic school where she worked, where she grew up attending and she loved that school. And she was fired because she dared to get married to the woman she loves. Um, We are so proud to be bringing a lawsuit in Missouri on behalf of 14 religious leaders from seven different religious denominations, predominantly different forms of Christians, but we've got a lot of Jews in there. And frankly, it was open to all. Um, We we looked for a non-theist officiant and the one in Missouri had left the state. So that really says a lot, actually. But that was that was really one of my peak moments here 
when in Christ Church Cathedral, which is a beautiful church that the Episcopal bishop, uh, who was one of our plaintiffs, had lent us, who's, by the way, a gay black man. We were there. We were about to launch the lawsuit. And I just felt like calling everyone together just to kind of ground ourselves in the moment. And we all stood in a circle and we held hands and I completely lost it. I just completely lost it because I was like, these are the best moments in America. Like when we're all coming together across so many differences and we're here to protect each other. So that that's an amazing lawsuit. But those are the lawsuits. This is already getting really long. Just a couple of other quick things. No, keep going. Um, Keep going. Like when when the Trump administration was in power, they passed unbelievably dangerous and terrible series of regulations that denied health care based on if you didn't pass a religious litmus test, denied access to federal jobs if you didn't pass a religious litmus test, denied entry to people who didn't pass a religious litmus test. And, you know, we were the group, Americans United, that put together the list for the Biden administration to tell them where we needed to make change immediately. We brought lawsuits to help light a fire under them. And the Muslim ban is gone. The the litmus test that was in place that allowed federal contractors to be able to fire and hire people based on their personal religious beliefs. So that's about a fifth of workers across this country. That regulation is gone. And rules that uh, were restricting birth control access, that were restricting um, that that allowed student clubs in publicly funded universities to discriminate and uh, the denial of care rule, all of those and more all in the process right now of being reversed, thanks to, in part, the hard work of Americans United and all of our partner organizations and supporters. So we're doing all that. And then just I'll make one more point. And this is already way too long. Please forgive me. Just the youth point. Let's just talk about the youth point for a moment, because I'm so proud that we have a really noticeable chunk of younger people here and, you know, Gen Z rock. And I have three Gen Z kids who make me so proud. They were all watching me virtually this morning. I was so happy about that. It was so amazing for me. But but yeah, but my but I think like I I used to talk about this issue before we started all of our youth initiatives. And I started to feel like somber when I would leave my own talks um, and a little hopeless, you know, and I realized if we're not zeroing in on the priority of reaching younger people, making sure that they understand and value what church state separation, which sounds so antiquated, is really about we're in trouble. And that's where the hope lies. And so we're doing so much. We have these incredible youth organizing fellowships every year. We're, We're looking for our fourth class right now. We have this unbelievable legal academy that is fighting back against what the Federalist Society and Alliance Defending Freedoms Blackstone Institute has been doing for decades and decades, working with our partner organizations, bringing together young law students so that they can learn and network with my generation on up and with each other so that they are in a position to shape the law into our future. I want to zoom in on that because that's something I think is, so the, the youth fellowship, the, the youth folks, the, the scholars, the, 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 the fellows are amazing. We interviewed uh, a couple already. Aren't and they unreal? I mean, there was, a, I mean, I podcast three times a week and I was, there was a moment where I was speechless because I was just like, I'm supposed to be the one who's used to being on the mic here. And I don't know what to say because what you just articulated was just amazing. But the legal dimension you ju- you're talking about, the legal academy, you know, in my work and on our show, we talk all the time about the ways that the Federalist Society um, and Heritage Foundation and so on and so forth have created a pipeline. And that pipeline just feeds our judicial system. It feeds the the legal ecosystem. 
this seems so important to me. Can you just talk real quick about like, how does that work? What is the goal? What is the takeaway? What happens when someone enters the academy? You know, what what is your hope in training them? So on and so forth. Yeah. So we put together this class of law students who are actually curated by the organizations who we're partnering with. And they come for four days of in-person networking and learning. And what we're teaching them is number one, hard litigating skills, because they're law students, they're doing these summer internships. They're not necessarily being given the practical skills to succeed in their in their internship. They actually really appreciate that because it's like quieting the anxiety of the summer. But at the same time, we're actually teaching them strategy and we're having movement leaders come in and say, I don't know how it's going to work tomorrow, but this is how it worked for us recently. And we want to share all of those lessons learned with you. And we're teaching them philosophy. You know, um, we're teaching them about organizing and how organizing must accompany lawsuits. I mean, we're teaching them about messaging and press and having people who are experts in both those ways come in and talk with them about, you know, and that's what we're realizing at AU. I mean, the courts are a bear right now. So it's really important to stay with them. There are still ways that we're winning. We have to defend because our religious extremists are so emboldened right now. But we have to use our lawsuits to change hearts and minds and build our movement. And so we need to teach these young lawyers how to do that, you know, so they're doing that. And then there's continuing education and support so that we can continue to help them grow in their careers and network. Well, you talked about this morning and I had this very brief and very unwise thought of, I should get back to law school and then I could get be part of the academy. Um, do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm an old man, but <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited that that's happening. Um, we're going to run out of time. You have so much to do today. So I just want to say thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for explaining the ways that AU is tackling all of these things on the ground. It's inspirational. Um, and I think it's something that gives people hope. One of the things that I talked with Andrew Seidel about is that, you know, when we are together, and you've talked about this this weekend, and when we feel the dynamism of being with each other, coming from different places, but having the same goals, um, there's something that says, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting, and I'm going to put even more energy into this. And uh, that's something I'm so grateful for for the summit. So Where's the best way that people can, I don't know, sign a pledge, maybe? Yeah, Where's yeah. that? Go to au.org. Okay. That'll be the simplest way, and you'll be able to find things on the summit. You can also go to thesrf.org. Um, either of those websites will hook you up, and we'll be sharing a lot more. Right now, it's the pledge for One Nation, All, all beliefs. beliefs. I love it. <laughs> we said it together. But I really appreciate all the work that you're yeah. doing, and I look forward to future collaborations. All right. Thank you. Thanks. 